Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden, and this podcast is brought to you by Manning, Elliott Accountants, and Business Advisors. I have two guests in studio with me today. First, we have BIV reporter Patrick Blennerhassett, who joins the podcast from time to time. Thanks for coming in once more. Thanks for having me, Haley. And we also have another frequent radio guest on our BIV radio show on Roundhouse Radio 98.3 in studio today with us as well, here to talk about all things real estate and housing. Tom Davidoff is an associate professor within the Strategy and Business Economics Division at the University of British Columbia. He focuses on housing, aging, insurance, and mortgages, and is a frequent commentator on policies and developments tied to Metro Vancouver's real estate market. He's here with us, as I said, to talk about all things real estate. Thanks so much for joining us in studio today. Real pleasure. Great to be here. I want to take things to the largest picture possible. We tend to focus so local, but really, I think we've seen the globalization of housing over the past couple of years, the commodification of housing too. What economic context do we find ourselves in here at the closing of 2017? Well, I think Vancouver is definitely one of the world's superstar cities, uh, an expression that maybe gets overused. But there's not that many places, I think, where very rich people want to sort of set up shop from all over, feel like they and their money and their families are safe, have good air to breathe and uh, good governance. And we've got all of that here. And uh, I think it's reasonable to expect that that type of buyer is likely to be a presence in the market for a very long time. There you go. And that's something I think we've seen in cities around the world too, right? Sydney, Australia might be a good example. Maybe see like San Francisco, although a lot of that might be tied to labor too. Yeah. You know, Sydney's a good one. Uh, San Francisco too. But, you know, as you mentioned, what's different about Vancouver is it's a great city, certainly. Uh, but I would say a bit more of a place to have money than a place mm. to make money. I just saw something about tech salaries. We have a good workforce here, uh, but the same tech worker, I think, makes a lot less money here in Vancouver uh, than they do elsewhere. And that really complicates things because you've got so much demand from rich people uh, from all over, potentially, uh, but locals, um, they're doing fine, but uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of competition for not a lot of real estate. Mm-hmm. Is it as simple to say as uh, cities that are desirable locations? You talk about Sydney being a, an interesting one. I was just reading a piece in The Economist that talked about they just found out that the Chinese government's been pumping a whole bunch of campaign funds into very specific parties there. Um, and here, the foreign influences is obviously something we can see. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And I know it's a bit of a, a touchy subject for some people, but the foreign influence and, and maybe sort of Asia in particular and even China, what type of impact is it having on cities like Vancouver, Sydney and other as well? Yeah, and you say th- there's foreign, and then there's uh, immigration, mm-hmm. and uh, and the two are probably not. There's some gray area in between. We have students come temporarily; uh, they may come with family money. There may be a plan later for people to come here. I don't know, but the family structures. You know, there's a whole range from I just want a place to invest and I want nothing to do with Vancouver to I want to move to Vancouver right. and come and make a living here. And I don't see a way in which China's not going to be an important part of Vancouver going forward. Um, you know, the U.S. may be taking itself out of the global leadership business. Uh, you know, who knows? People talk about China being a bubble. I really am not in a position to say anything about it, but it's a lot of people, and a, a, a very large number of, and growing number of affluent people who don't have great housing options uh, back at home. 
because a it's very expensive the air's no good and uh, it still is a, i understand it a very corrupt and nasty political system so it's hard to see how demand for Vancouver and Canadian real estate wouldn't continue to grow among the Chinese, barring some kind of catastrophe where there's no more rich people from China. Is the foreign buyer's tax here in Metro Vancouver an example of the strength of that demand? We're about a year and a half on. And by some counts, there was a dip, there was a dampening, some hesitation. But now it seems as though levels are back up and it didn't have much of a lasting impact. I think your question really goes to that gray area of uh, what foreign is. The foreign buyer tax has not gotten us to affordability. You can look maybe at the top end of the market. I think single family may be struggling and who knows what the long-term impact will be. And it's so hard to tease out any one factor. Mm -hmm. But clearly, the facts on the grounds are if you're a first-time buyer, things are much worse than they were when that tax came into effect. We've seen, as I said at the start of the show, sort of this globalization of housing. You mentioned a couple key markets as well. Is this sort of the reality of the 21st century? Do you see this reversing at all? Or are we just sort of developing as a city? We've become an international city. You know, those macro things, I'm out of my depth. But uh, coastal real estate, I think it's an interesting question. People have talked about, oh, there's a bubble in San Francisco. There's a bubble in New York for years. Uh, But they're not making any more of certain cities where people really want to go. And exactly what the value of real estate in a place that features global demand and limited supply is, what that appropriate price level is, is very hard to know because you've got to forecast international demand for a city. You know, there are substitutes. If San Francisco gets too expensive, what's to stop people from going to Lincoln, Nebraska and making that the next hub uh, of technology? There's a lot, but it could happen. I don't. I, what's the price point where people say that's enough of San Francisco, we're going to go somewhere else? Mm. That's just extremely difficult to forecast. So I think high prices and a lot of volatility have to be the future of uh, prices here in Vancouver. And concerning the empty homeowners tax, um, are you a fan of that? Is that... Is it like, is it in terms of of partially mitigating the problem, do you think it's doing a good job or is you think it's like a, a proper solution in terms of uh, mitigating what's going on in Vancouver? That's a great question, because given we've got not a lot of real estate and a lot of people interested in the real in the real estate, you start to turn into what are the right solutions? And the answer has to be exploit the very high value of real estate we have here. Uh, and use some of that to redistribute to people who are struggling. So how do you do that? Generally speaking, the way you do it is you raise property taxes and you cut income and sales taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who own real estate are doing very well. Uh, people who don't real estate own real estate are really struggling. So that kind of transfer makes sense. But you have to be careful because what about people who just bought a condo and really stretched themselves? Uh, They don't want to pay an extra tax. They can barely make their payments as it is. What about senior citizens? They're able to defer their property taxes, but they're done with their earning years. They're done with most of their consumption, and they're most of the voters are a very important part of the voters. So a politician can't say, well, let's raise grandma's property taxes and tell her it's for the next generation because that's not going to fly. So then you have to get smart. How can we capture real estate value in a way that's not unfair Uh, but does raise significant revenue. We put forward our BC Housing Affordability Fund, which says if you're retired, you're off the hook. If you pay income tax in Canada, you're largely off the hook. If you're a landlord, you're off the hook. And I think the empty homes tax isn't too far from that. They're saying, you know, you're not part of the workforce here and yet you own real estate. 
you've got to pay a reasonable property tax. What people don't understand, I think, about British Columbia and particularly Vancouver is we've got ridiculously low property taxes. I'd argue we should have some of the highest property taxes in the world. Mm. And instead, we've got unbelievably low rates as a percentage of value. Meanwhile, you, you charge people a lot to make a living. So what is the message our government is sending to the world? It's come buy our real estate, but don't make a living here. <laughs> well, if that's the message the government sends, you're going to have very expensive house prices, you're going to have global demand, and it's going to be brutal on the young workforce. And lo and behold, that's what we have. There you go. We have it. What's the history of having some of the lowest property taxes around? Don't know. You know, I've heard that's the Canadian way. I went to uh, the Dunbar homeowners group or just neighborhood group. It tends to be quite quite an uh, interesting demographic scene, right? Sure. It is entirely baby boomer plus. And, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, you're sitting on a $6 million house. You probably ought to be paying more than $30,000 a year in property tax, given what the other taxes are around here. And they said, no, 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 that's not the Canadian way. It's negative redistribution. You know, you're an American. And I, I don't know. I don't know the history or why people think that's a good idea. But, you know, you listen to politics. Well, I know why they think it's a good idea, again, because uh, a lot of homeowners are near or past retirement uh, homeowners and they're, and they're who votes. You sent me a really interesting paper here about mm -hmm. redevelopment auctions and the idea of density bonusing. And we've already seen, you noted in here, Burnaby earned over 50 million in Vancouver, over 100 million from selling density bonuses. So take me through that. What is, what is the idea of this? Yeah. So if you think about our policy environment and how we're going to respond to this, I think a real crisis of affordability that, as you mentioned, with the global demand for Vancouver mm -hmm. is likely to be with us forever. So what do you do about it? Well, one thing is tax reform, but the other is land use reform. Everybody knows we need more townhomes. You've got baby boomers. I don't know if either of you ever looked for a townhome to buy, but I can tell you, you walk into the townhome, there's 20 baby boomers because there's not enough product. They're all <laughs> trading down out of their many million dollar single family mm -hmm. houses. It's like the kiss of death. No way you're going to be able to afford that property. We need a lot more of that property type. We need more condos. Uh, and that's going to mean less single family housing, or maybe less uh, commercial space, uh, maybe less industrial. But to do that redevelopment, Let's get some upside for the community because whoever owns the property and the developer jointly stand to make millions of dollars if you add density and square footage that you're selling for $1,500, $2,000 a square foot and building it three. So the question is, how do we, A, get some of the right product and B, capture the value? Well, I know the, the city of Surrey has a development corporation and they've done some interesting projects, one being Central City, the other one, Three Civic Plaza. And we actually talked about on the mm -hmm. radio show a bit about Central City Brewing, Haley, that they couldn't find affordable real estate and then the city stepped in. And then with Three Civic Plaza, the developers simply wanted to do high-end luxury condos and the city said, you have to put Kwantlen in there, you have to put a hotel, and you have to put a ground floor of commercial space. So is that essentially what we're doing here is going to the developer and say, okay, you can have this land, but you have to build a, a rec center on your base floor type thing. Is that the essence of it? It is and it isn't. I think that's what happens now. And the cities, you've got people who, I'm just going to be blunt, in some cases, what you've got is a negotiation between a big shot developer who with a lot of experience and uh, kids who do not have experience, you know, negotiating on behalf of the city. And you've got a difference in financial sophistication. So the developer says, okay, that's fine. You know, you give me 30 stories and you win. 
I'll give you 5,000 square feet of community space in the back of the first floor that nobody wants. And this is a big win. You know, I I think that's a big risk. So the question is, how does the city get as much as they can out of selling rights? And I think the answer has to be the following. Define a product. What is it that your community wants more of? Is it townhomes? Is it towers? Whatever it is, say we want, you know, uh, 300 uh, townhome units built a year in the city of North Vancouver, the district of North Vancouver, say. Uh, And then what you do is you just because the city can't negotiate against a developer and expect to come out uh, with their 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 wallet intact. What they ought to do is say, let's go to the market. We're going to let 300 units go in. Here's a defined geography where it's allowed. You know, if you think about the district of North Vancouver, I used to live there. I'd say Mont Royal Boulevard, Ranger. Uh, maybe Capilano would be natural places for that. Say, so, you know, in that rough area, we want 300 units every year. And tell you what, market, you, you tell us how much it's worth to have that right. If you find a bunch of houses and you buy a permit, you get to tear the houses down and replace them uh, with townhome. But it's got to look exactly like these drawings. No negotiation. This is what we're going to allow. Go for it. Then you have an auction. Van City buys a bunch of permits. And then after a developer's done assembling land, they buy the permits from Van City. That's going to lead to competition. And however much so-called land lift there is, however much value you're adding to properties by giving them the right to add density, that's what those permits are going to cost. And all the cash, then instead of going into the pockets of the landowner and the developer, all the excess economic rents from being able to add density goes to the community. And in my opinion, we're looking at about a trillion dollars of value over the next 20, 30 years, right? If you figure we could probably build a million units around here, currently they're selling at a million dollars above cost. That's a trillion dollars of money local governments could have. That would buy a lot of rental subsidies to uh, low-income people who want to stay here. And one of the benefits of that for all sides, I think, is that it would provide clarity, whether developers like that plan or not. One of the big criticisms has been the lack of clarity around community amenity contributions and how you secure density. Yeah, you know, I actually think developers, if they're smart, would hate the plan I've roughly outlined. (laughs) Because if you look at the guys who dominate UDI, uh, there's a few uh, businesses around Vancouver who do a great job of navigating a very difficult system. Uh, you don't know how much CAC, community amenity contribution, the city's going to ask you for. So you have to buy land not knowing how much the city's going to demand before they give you the right to build. You also don't know what the city's going to let you build. You go through many rounds of negotiations. We saw that, I believe, with BD uh, on Kiefer Street in Chinatown. You know, it seems like a nightmare. But you know what? That nightmare, I believe, keeps a lot of developers out of Vancouver. You know, mm-hmm. real estate development often ought to be a very competitive cutthroat business, but we see the same companies again and again doing deals around Vancouver. And I think it's because you have to develop a lot of human capital to figure out and navigate and de-risk the political process. If you go to an auction system where we just define exactly upfront what's going to get built and have a competition to see who's willing to pay the most to build exactly that product in a prescribed neighborhood... Well, then you're opening up competition to all kinds of builders. And it's instead of who's best at the politics, it becomes a competition to who's got the most uh, money to pay and uh, who can build buildings the most efficiently. I actually think that would be bad for the incumbent developers. The current system, its opacity creates a barrier to entry. It makes for a lot of work, but a very healthy living for developers who can successfully navigate the uh, course. 
Now, I obviously the cynic inside me says you're kind of doing a bit of a deal with the devil. So how is that not sort of just sort of basically the city saying, okay, whoever can pay the most gets this land? Like, how do you make sure that um, the developer that does end up winning that auction is going to not only build homes and 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 contribute to the sort of the economy, but also contribute to the community? Like, how do you make sure? that they're going to follow through on all this stuff through the process after they get the property. Well, well, I think that's why getting cash is better than getting uh, actual So the city just has the cash and then the they, city the gets city the cash, can, they can do, do what they want with it. Okay, so it's kind of just basically like a trade. So you're saying the city gets the cash and then the city can then take that money and allocate it somewhere else if they need. That's thing? right. That's right. And and again, if you have a bidding process, there's very little risk of the city getting ripped off. If you have a negotiation where the developer says, oh, okay, oh I'll yeah. give you, I'll give you, you know, a uh, hundred feet of bike lane in front of my building, but boy, that's going to cost me. So, <laughs> you know, all those 30 floors of, uh, you know, $2,000 square foot condos are going to have to go to that strip of bike lane. How does the guy in the city planning department know he's not getting ripped off? If you have an auction, uh, you're going to have competition and the city's going to just see a check at the end and they can do what they want with it. And one of the things I think they ought to want to do is provide uh, rental assistance to people who are struggling. Well, you talked about developers being really crafty negotiators. So this is kind of almost stacking the developers against each other in a way, not necessarily against each other, but you're sort of saying rather than you guys have a one-on-one negotiation with the city, we have you know half a dozen developers that are basically just going to try to outbid each other. Yeah, and it's not it's not like this idea hasn't been had before. Suppose you're the uh, you're sitting in Ottawa, and you know there's a bunch of land out there in some province that you've never been to that's good for some resource that you don't know how much it's worth, and you'd have no idea what's in the dirt or how to read the geotech reports. What do you do? You have an auction, right? You're selling bandwidth. I don't know what bandwidth's worth. I don't really know what bandwidth is, but I do know uh, if the government has it to sell, the way they get rid of it is through an auction. You have mm-hmm. people compete. Right now, there's a really valuable resource that governments know they're sitting on. They know it's really valuable, but they don't know how much it's worth. The, the, the typical approach in that case is because you don't know the value, but you're running up against an industry that knows the value very well, you have the industry uh, enter into competition. And uh, that way you avoid getting ripped off and you get maximum uh, value to the community for the resource. So you're kind of just letting free market capitalism do its thing, basically. That's right. Look, we haven't. We've been so far from it. And I don't think people really appreciate this. Some people think, well, the West Side is really expensive because that's how God made it. It's a great neighborhood. (laughs) And I, I, as a a renter in Vancouver, could never live there because it, it ought to be luxurious single family homes. That is the opposite of the free market, right? Given how much you can sell real estate for on the West Side of Vancouver, all those communities, Arbutus, Carisdale, Kitsilano, Point Grey, what have you, Dunbar, those would be uh, apartment buildings and very tall apartment buildings. You know, I think they wouldn't be cheap, but there'd be enough units that they'd be a lot cheaper than they are today because you could not sell all the apartments the market wants to build on the west side of Vancouver at today's prices. You'd have a mix of rental and uh, condo, different sizes, because you'd have to get rid of all that square footage. Uh, we intervene so unbelievably strictly into the market for real estate that we've created a situation where the government really controls a huge amount of real estate value by determining how strict or, or loose zoning is going to be. And to loosen the zoning and give away all the value to the landowner, you know, it would make sense if uh, we were in a place like, I don't know, uh, Duluth, Minnesota, where the real estate doesn't have any value. But when you're sitting on a trillion dollars of zoning, 
And, and raising revenue through taxes is very, it, it, it's a pain. Nobody wants to pay taxes. So we're sitting on this really valuable resource. Let's get the most out of it. And the beauty is when you relax the constraints, you get more affordable housing. It's really potentially a, an amazing resource for our communities. We have UBC economist Tom Davidoff with us in studio and BIV reporter Patrick Blennerhassett. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more conversation after this. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out on their website at manningelliott.ca. We're continuing the conversation on all things housing in Metro Vancouver related to real estate, development, construction. In studio with us, Tom Davidoff, Associate Professor within the Strategy and Business Economics Division at UBC. And of course, joining me, my colleague, BIV reporter, Patrick Blennerhassett. Help me understand this, Tom. We've been talking about affordability as well as addressing supply. And you mentioned sort of that missing middle, different types of supply. If we get more supply and if we get, say, more townhomes, what price point are they going to be at when we look at what land value has done? Because that's the other piece of this, too. You bring in more supply, but is it actually accessible? Yeah. So if you build a townhome today, I don't know, you might be selling it at $2,000 a square foot in the pre-sale. I think if you look at existing townhomes, uh, duplex type product, condos, what have you, I don't know, 1000 bucks ish a square foot. So a 1,500 square foot unit's going to be a million five, which, you know, better than single family. There are mm. people who make enough money to afford that, but it's tough. But, you know, if you look in the market today, the last time I checked in the city, there was, I don't know, somewhere south of 100 uh duplexes for sale. Uh, I don't know how many townhomes that are completed townhomes are for sale today. If you go on rue.ca, which is a great, great site for checking, um, it's not a lot. If you increase that number fivefold by building a ton all at once, the price would come down. How far it would come down? I don't know. The beauty is, you know, again, if you sell the rights to developers to do this, even if the price doesn't come down, that just means you're getting more and more from selling the rights to developers. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think people don't appreciate this. If uh, you sell a unit and it get, remains empty, if it's a million dollar unit, that's $10,000 a year that unit's producing in income to the city. Add to that an auction for the right to build it. And there is a lot of financial upside to the city, which could, if we wanted and had the political will, go to helping uh, people who don't make enough money and need a place to live. Is there political will to bring about this type of auction system that you've outlined? I think so. I mean, how many people believe that they, th- there needs to be that missing middle type unit? And by missing middle, I think we really mean anything other than a detached single family home, which currently occupies about half the land uh, that's residential in Vancouver. Yeah. And, and there's no way to make it affordable. You, you can tax this and tax that. There is no way uh, a detached single family home is a realistic affordability product going forward. Uh, I think we're just past that point in in the life of the global economy. It seems tough that you would ever get uh, local governance that could even, I mean, we're going to have a a campaign or sort of an election cycle next year. 
Um, I can't see a somebody running for mayor saying, I'm just going to let the free market sort itself out in Vancouver. Um, I feel like that person would instantly, you know, chop off 30% of the vote right away. So how would you, how do you get this into sort of the governance side where you actually have people campaigning saying, we got to loosen things up. We got to have a bit more of a light touch. Like, how do you, how, how's that ever going to come about? Well, well, let me be clear. I am not saying let the market have its way because yeah. then if the city just says we're going to blanket rezone everything all at once, do what you want, you know, we're just going to lift density restrictions. Vancouver would in fact become a construction zone and you'd be handing giant economic value to the, inc- the current landowners. Now that would be great for a lot of voters, right? If you let everybody with a single family home build whatever they want, they'd get very rich, but their neighborhoods would be totally transformed into who knows what. Mm-hmm. And that's not the right approach. I, I don't believe, and I don't think it's a politically tenable approach. But if the city says we want 3,000 townhomes a year or 2,000 or 150, they come up with some number and they say, hey, voters, let me show you a beautiful picture. If you're going to get a townhome on your block, we're going to insist that it looks like this beautiful townhome and there has to be a tree in front and a tree in back. Uh, if it's co- towers, there's going to be a huge setback and they have to put a library. This, the city can define precisely what it wants. And it can say exactly how many units it wants every year. And the fewer units they allow each year, the more revenue you get from each unit because the market's going to be so desperate to bust zoning and get a little bit of density. And instead, what we have is the city, you know, sort of has a plan and there's ad hoc negotiations between the city planning department and developers. Voters have no clue. Uh, how much of what is going to get built. They don't know how much upside the city's getting. It, it, it's not It's not visible. It's not transparent. I think a very clear process of, here's what I'm running on. I think there should be X number of townhomes built citywide. I think there should be X number of condos. And then the other thing is that gives you the credibility. Did everybody agree we want 200 townhomes a year or 500 townhomes a year? Everybody on board? Okay, now the market's going to decide where it's going to go. And I'll tell you, it's mostly going to go on the west side because that's where the land values are high. You know, a lot of what we do is we build where the political opposition is weak. If you look at Burnaby, Mm -hmm. as I understand it, the number one place you build is uh, low quality rental housing, which is low quality, but it's providing affordable housing. And so grandma gets thrown out. I think the land values there might be quite a bit lower than on the west side right? An important concept in life is the new building activity ought to be concentrated on the best land, not the cheapest land. Well, there's also that idea of like, Haley and I both know, like driving through Surrey and South Surrey, like it's townhouse central yeah. and it's nothing. It's at this stage. Yeah, yeah. And it's nothing but townhouses. And you have the community down there sort of crying foul saying we need, you know, more mixed use. We need sort of malls. We need shopping districts mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But basically what's happened is the city has basically just sort of written a blank check, cut all the red tape and let the developers sort of decide what goes in there. And, you know, they're going to throw some coffee shops in on their bottom floor. But in terms of the condominiums and the townhomes, they're just going to build until basically the market says not to build anymore. Like, is that is that a solution or a problem? Or is like, which, how, where does that sort of fall in, on the spectrum? Well, it's interesting. I, and, you know, if you ask developers, if you had the choice of what to build in downtown Vancouver, how many of you would be willing to build an office? 
The answer is zero. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would build an office voluntarily in Vancouver because residential outbids it. You know, I used to have my MBA students do a project at the end of the year. Take a piece of land and tell me what you think the best use is going to be. But I just stopped assigning that project because it's so boring. Everybody knows what the right answer is. It's <laughs> build as many condos as you possibly mm-hmm. can. Um, now, the market wants residential. I mean, so uh, I'm somewhat disinclined to say force commercial. You know, usually people want commercial. Uh, if the zoning will allow it. We're in this funny position uh, where the market really wants residential over commercial, which tells us we've got a a shortage of residential. What do you do then as a municipality that doesn't want to see business flee the city? And we have seen businesses move outside of the downtown core to other places in Vancouver, even sometimes to Surrey or Burnaby. Well, you know, the city has a very heavy hand, right? If you want to build in certain parts of downtown Vancouver, it's got to be commercial. I think the new False Creek Flats plan requires some mix of uh, commercial and industrial, which is not what the market wants. And I don't think that's crazy. It's like a community amenity contribution. But instead of cash, you're saying, well, we want jobs Mm -hmm. because we believe we want to have a functioning economy and a functioning downtown. And we don't want Vancouver to be converted to a playground for rich people in semi-inhabited condos. Now, I will say, I think the answer is not generally a restriction and have the city micromanage land use. I think a better idea is to say, well, if we think empty units uh, are a worse use of land than office, then tax empty units. If you think residential is a worse use of land than office, say, well, if you want to build office, the community amenity contribution is lower than if you uh, build apartments. So basically say, how costly is it to the community if you build residential instead of the commercial you want? Come up with a dollar number and say, well, you've got a choice. You can pay a low fee if you want to build office, or you can pay a high fee and build residential. But again, the auction process would let you do that. You'd say, we want this many office units, have a bid. You won't make that much money, but you'll get office space. We want this many rental apartments. They won't bid as much as condo, but you'll get the rental apartments you want. And then condo, yeah, nobody wants it next door. Uh, people think it's only for rich people, but you make a fortune that can go into libraries and bike lanes and uh, affordable rental subsidies. Maybe looking into 2018 now, just kind of wrapping up, um, they talked about the new mortgage rules coming in, maybe tempering the market. But I feel like we've heard that song before. We heard it with the empty home tax. We heard it with the foreign buyers tax that's going to soften the market. Previous mortgage regulations as well. Yeah. So is this, do you think that this is going to have any effect on on maybe the Vancouver market specifically finally? Or is this kind of just another thing that's just going to temper out some first time home buyers? You know, my colleague Swore Somerville talks about demographics and I think there's a millennial bulge in people forming households because if you look at the rental market, people really want small units. And if you look at the owner housing market, people really want itty bitty condos, which suggests either investors doing Airbnb, but also very likely new households forming who are constrained in what they can purchase and just want to get a roof over their head, be it a rental or a condo. That suggests that these new mortgage rules, which are aimed at people who are probably first-time buyers stretching in terms of what they can afford and forcing that that buyer to meet a payment test based not on their current interest rate, but one that's about 2% higher, that would suggest those rules would have a lot of impact. But you're right. They put in rules just like that on high loan-to-value mortgages about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought, oh, this is going to have a big impact. And then we have the best year for condos or worse, <laughs> depending on your perspective, right. in the history of humanity over the last few months. 
So what makes me think these new rules might have an impact? I suspect, and I don't know, just from what I've heard from anecdotes, and I don't have a lot of data on this, that a lot of buyers who would have had to have mortgage insurance and been subject to this stress test a year ago have been taking on second loans or getting parental down payment and you know, actually putting themselves at more risk by borrowing more money, but they're calling their first mortgage uh, a no insurance required 20% down, but that 20% isn't really their equity, it's from another lender. If that is a big factor in the market, and I would say that's more to me than 30% likely that it's a big factor, I don't know the probability, but I, I think it's reasonably likely, in that case, these new rules which say all those mortgage loans are now subject to the stress test, well, then we could see some impact on, on what people can afford. That said, I, I don't think we're going to be at you know $400,000 for a nice condo anytime yeah. soon. No. Maybe just really quickly, I, I know that the other thing is that the household debt that Canadians are carrying is a huge deal. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about that really quickly. Just the fact that we're adding that on top is that in terms of industrialized Western nations, we're at the very top. Um, could this contribute to sort of like a, a major downturn for us? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know... If, Suppose things get started a little bit. People are pessimistic. The new mortgage rules come in. It looks like uh, demand from outside the market slows down for whatever tax purposes. Who knows what the NDP is going to cook up? Hopefully something like our BC Housing Affordability Fund. But you know, suppose that gets going and the market slows down. Uh, prices fall a little bit. You get these new condos built. People decide, yeah, I, I don't really want to move in. I know I put a down payment <laughs> down, but I think I'll give this back to the developer. The developers have to dump the product on the market. You know, you can get a, a pretty nasty downturn, and then you've got highly leveraged borrowers. Uh, maybe the Bank of Canada raises interest rates. They can't make their payments. They decide it's not worth it. They dump their product on the market. They default on loans. Uh, that creates further price pressure. You got more borrowers facing higher payments than they anticipated, reduced prices. You know, and that that's the U.S. in the 2000s, um, highly leveraged borrowers deciding it wasn't worth it. I, I don't think the quality of loans is as bad here as it was in the States. Mm -hmm. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't put huge likelihood on that kind of horrifying, god-awful bubble burst. But nobody that I am aware of 10 years ago looked at Vancouver and said, oh my God, it's such a cheap place. What, you know, I mean, maybe, <laughs> you know, relative to Beijing or Shanghai, they did. But most of us thought, these prices were fairly unreasonably high of in course. 2005, 2006. And I don't know if they are double, you know, well more than double that level today. So is it out of the question that we could revert to a much lower price level than we have today? It's not out of the question. And in that world, you have to think a lot of these borrowers who are highly leveraged would have to get out of their position. So yeah, I think there's certainly a nightmare scenario out there. I don't I don't know if it's the most likely outcome, but it's it's a possibility. It exists. A final question for you, Tom. We have at times seen varying levels of government have out of sync policies when it comes to addressing our housing market in hot markets like Vancouver. We now have a Vancouver housing strategy, a national housing strategy, and the BC NDP has indicated they want to do something around bringing about more supply. Are they in sync? Are they aligned? Well, I think the city and the province both really do believe in creating new rental supply. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that's the right route. I'm not sure just selling the right to build a condo for a half million dollars, take the half million dollars, get a new condo and money to provide assistance right. to people who need it isn't a better approach. But I think uh, should the market not uh, crash, I think we are going to see some more rental supply, which is a good thing. 
but I, I think you have to act on the demand side as well. I mean, I, I think we're getting a little smarter about supply. Uh, I think on the demand side, we still have a screwy tax system. The foreign buyer tax was not enough to fix that. And uh, it's going to be very interesting in February to see if the NDP gets its act together on um, actually requiring everybody who owns expensive property in Vancouver to contribute uh, in taxes one way or the other. We'll have to have you back on the show to walk us through that in the new year. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of housing news in 2018. Pleasure having you on the show I expect so. Thank you very much. (laughs) That was Tom Davidoff, an associate professor within the Strategy and Business Economics Division at the University of British Columbia, joining us to talk all things real estate and housing. With me as well, BIV reporter Patrick Blennerhassett. And that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening to our BIV podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Now, if you want to listen to past podcasts, head on over to iTunes. And if you want more podcasts, radio show interviews, business news, head on over to BIV.com. You can find more details there. I'm Haley Wooden. If you want to connect with me, my social media handle is at Haley Wooden. Thanks again for joining us. We'll catch you next time.